Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this great privilege to come into your presence. We thank you, Lord, that the way was open because of the cross and the work that Jesus accomplished there. We thank you now that we can speak to you as our loving Heavenly Father. And again, Lord, we come as we've been praying earlier to ask for your help. Lord, we realize that the life that we live, we can't live on our own. But we need you, Lord, to come and abide with us as you have promised. We need you, Lord, so that you give us that inner strength through God the Holy Spirit. That, Lord, that we need you. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us this privilege to meet like this. And Lord, we would just pray again very simply that you would help us now to open our hearts and open our minds to all that you have for us. Lord, we ask that we might be fed today so that we can look forward to this coming week with strength and renewed vigor to go and to be the people that you want us to be. And so, Lord, come and touch each of our lives this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A Sunday school teacher once asked her children, as they were on their way to church, why was it necessary to keep quiet in church? And one little girl replied, because the people are sleeping. So I don't want you to be sleeping today as we hear God's word and as we take it in. Because it's, it's different from just hearing. We can all hear. But God wants us to do more. He wants to take the word that is his and make it part of us. So that we become the people that he wants us to be. If you were here last week, you maybe remember that we thought about and looked a little bit about Jesus. And the words that he not spoke, but he shouted in John 7. When he was in Jerusalem. Men remember Jesus said this. If anyone thirsts. Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me. As the scripture says. Out of his heart. Will flow rivers of living waters. That's the promise. That's what God says he'll do. If we will ask him. If anyone thirsts. So you're thirsty. You're ready for a good drink this day. Remember we said that as our physical body needs water to survive, as our physical body needs water so that we can remain healthy, so our spiritual body needs this living water from heaven. For us not only to survive, but for us to be victorious in all that God wants us to do. That God our creator, when he created you and when he created me, he created us so that we would have a thirst. A thirst for him and all that he has for us. But sadly sometimes... We lapse. Sometimes we just do our own thing. Sometimes we don't want to ask God for help. And then it's at these times that our hearts grow a little bit 
dry. And we're not the people that we should be. And I want us to look at one area that we can lapse in. And it just happens so subtly that sometimes we're not even aware of it. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Matthew, uh, not Matthew, Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, and we're going to read a very well-known story. It's a story that Jesus told. In Luke 15, and we're going to be beginning to read from verse 11. In Luke 15, Jesus had told the parable of the lost sheep. He had told the parable of the lost coins. And now he tells the parable of the lost son. And this is God's word to us. So let's drink it in. Let's take it into ourselves. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will go out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion <coughs> filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. <coughs> this is my son. Oh <coughs> kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. And so they began to celebrate. And wouldn't it be good if we could just end it there? Where everybody's celebrating, everybody's happy. It's just a great time. But it doesn't end there. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. 
So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything... I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And we'll pray that God will bless that reading to us. You all know the story. It's a well-known story of the prodigal son. And I think that of all the... The parables in the scripture, this is the one that I have a a vivid picture of in my mind. I can see him, as it says, coming to his senses, making up his mind that he was going to go and return. I can see him walking along the road, and I don't know where I've got all this, but I can see him walking along the road and people giving him a wide berth because he smells. But the son doesn't seem to notice Because he has one thing on his mind as he walks along. It seems to me that he's rehearsing. He wants to get it right, what he wants to say to his father. And we all know this speech. I'm sure it was longer than, than it's here. Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am not worthy to be called your son. And he's so focused on what he will say. That maybe he just fails. And this is the picture I have in my mind. But maybe he just fails to look up and see his father running to him. There he is, running to meet his son. And for me, and this is what Jesus wanted, it's a lovely picture of what God does when we turn to him. When we say to him, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I want a drink. I believe that he runs to us. He's so glad. And he runs to greet the son. And his son gives his message. And said to his, says to his father, I'm sorry, I've sinned against heaven and you. And then these lovely words from the father. No son of mine is going to look like a pig. <coughs> Pen peasant. Bring him a robe. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Let's get the the barbecue going. Let's celebrate. And as I said, it would be good if we could stop there. Where everybody's happy and everyone is just feeling great. But we can't stop there because the parable doesn't allow us. And then we come to the big brother. Mr. Spoilsport. And he said, listen, what about my party? You never gave me anything. And he begins to moan and groan. And we know the story of the gracious father. And we know the story of the hostile brother. But what happened next? What does the next chapter say? 
And I want to suggest to you that this is how the next chapter reads. And I want to suggest to you it's from Scripture. So don't worry. There is Big Brother, and he's really hurt. There is Big Brother, and he really feels that he is right. So he decides that he is going to bring some justice into the life of his little brother that got it wrong. And he does so in a very subtle way. And so he starts. He sees his little brother. Hey, bro, how are you? Hey, that's a nice robe that you've got. Great gift from the father, isn't it? Hey, let me give you a little bit of advice. Make sure that you don't put any stains on it. Because father will not only send that robe to the cleaners, he'll send you to the cleaners also if you mess up that lovely robe that he's given you. And the younger son outwardly doesn't pay any attention. But the seed has been planted. Because the next time he's in the father's presence, he actually is looking at his robe to see if there is any stains or marks on it. Hey, wee brother, that's a lovely ring. Where did you get it? What did dad give you? Hey, do you know that dad loves you to wear rings on your thumb? And little bro tries it on his thumb. But it doesn't fit. It's just awkward. Hey, little bro, nice to see you. What's your plans and purposes for the future? Hey, make sure that you don't displease your father. And so the story goes on. And in the end, the young son is beginning to dread going into the presence of his father. Is becoming a burden. He never seems to be able to relax. All the rejoicing, everything that he had seems to be drained away. He just seems to be trying to keep up the standards that he thinks that his father has laid down. And until one day he realizes that he's longing again for the pigsty. He's longing again for that old life. Why? Because no one hounded him there. No one put this pressure on him there. And that's the rest of the story. Now you might be wondering where I found it. And I want us to turn, if you've got a Bible, into Galatians. Just turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians. And this is what the book of Galatians says. I am astonished, Galatians chapter 1, beginning to read from verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Here it is. In the church of Galatia, some of these brothers, as Paul talks about them, have come into the church and because they are the law um, (coughs) givers, they want everyone to begin to live by the law. 
And slowly and slowly, as the church in Galatian testifies, the joy, the freedom, all that God has is being sucked dry from them. That the joy snatchers have infiltrated the early church. And it not only happened in Galatia, if you read in the book of Romans, it says this in Romans 4. But people are declaring righteousness because of their faith, not because of their works. And throughout the New Testament, it's there, it reminds us again and again who we are. We have been saved by faith in Christ. (coughs) And that's how God intends you and I to live. Not to work for our salvation, but to accept by grace who we are in God. And that's so very important for us to realize that. There's a lovely story about Abraham Lincoln. And the law of emancipation had just been completed. That law that would give the slaves freedom. It was a tremendous act that was about to be drawn up. And it was ready to be signed. And Abraham Lincoln had to sign it in the afternoon. But all that morning he had spent at a reception. And the story goes that he shook so many people's hands that his hands were sore and his hands were swollen. And this is what he said. This is recorded. It said, Abraham Lincoln said this, Let me wait until my hand is better, he, re- he requested. I don't want my signature to be shaky. I want people to know I set the slaves free in confidence. And the scripture says, by grace in Christ, you and I have been set free in confidence. There's no hesitation, there's no reservation, there's no reluctance, there's no exception, there's no works. Only God's grace. And I want to suggest to you that that's how the scripture desires each of us to live. By faith, anger the grace of God. But there is or there are grace blockages that sometimes come into our lives and we're not aware of them. They're very subtle, like what was happening in the church at Galatia. We think that the Father has opened the gate. Oh, we believe that the Father has opened the gate. But somehow we also believe that we need to earn a place at his table. That God has put a down payment for our redemption. That's true. But he demands a monthly installment from us. That heaven supplies the boat to get us to the promised land. But we have to do the rowing if we want to get to the other side. Grace, the blockage, that blockage that says to us, you can taste, but don't drink. You can wet your lips, but don't quench your thirst. And when we look at it like that, it sounds stupid. 
But I challenge you to look at your life. And there are many ways that you and I quite subtly and sometimes unconsciously are seeking to work for our salvation. And our salvation is free, it's complete, it's been given as a gift. I'm a walker. And sometimes when you come down from the hills, all you want is a nice, cool drink of water. Just imagine coming down from the hill and you're sweating and there's a lovely fountain stream already and you just go up to drink and you see this notice. No swallowing please. Fill your mouth but not your belly. And you see that's absurd. That would never happen. What good is water if you can't drink? And here's the question. What good is God's grace If you and I don't let it go deep and penetrate every part of our lives. But we don't. We hold back because we want to do that little bit for God. So let me ask a question. What is the best image that would describe your heart at this moment? Is it something that's that's water um, drenched? Or is it a heart that's dry like a desert? What's your heart like just now? Have you been drinking in God's grace? Or have you just been trying to do it on your own? And you know it doesn't work. It doesn't work. If someone had to define, define your life, how would they define it? Would they define it as by grace? Or would they define it as a hard worker? A good looking man? A lovely lady? Or would they define it by God's grace? How is our lives defined? And again I want to go back to the scripture because I want us to to drink in deeply of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ and be excited about it, of know who we are for surety. Ephesians 2 and 4. And I'd like you to remember these scriptures. Ephesians 2 verses 4 to verse 7. And I want you to, I challenge you to take them home and read them. Once a day for the next week. Fill yourself with it. This is what the scripture says. But God who is rich in mercy. And he loved us so very much. That even while we were dead in our sins. Gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's special favor. That you have been saved. For he raised you from the dead along with Christ and has seated you with him in the heavenly realms and because we are with Christ and so God can always point to us as examples of the incredible wealth of his favour and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us through Christ Jesus that's who we are now that's a lot to take in. That's why I ask it. You take it home and you read it and you realise 
who you are and what should define you and I as Christians. Let's look at some of them. Spiritually alive. Why? Because He gave His life for us. Heavenly positioned. That we are seated with Him in the heavenly. I can't go over that. That is something that, that really excites me. That's my position. That's where I am. And no one can take it away from me. Connected with God. The Creator God. The Maker of heaven and earth. Created God. Why? Or how? Because I am one with Christ. Billboards of His mercy. When God is looking for an example of His great work, then He points to you and I, who have this great wealth and kindness that He's poured on us. You are and I are God's examples. Honour children, saved by God's special favour towards us. That's incredible. That's who you and I are in Christ Jesus. That is a picture of me. That is a picture of you. That is a picture of how God's grace shapes us. That is how you and I can say that if we are drinking all the sin, that we will be grace-defined. As this great blessing, like water, permeates our very being. I was reminded today by Graham that this is the day of Pentecost. This is the day when God the Holy Spirit came down. This is the day when He came down and revealed Himself as He's never revealed Himself before. And this is the day, right now, this day, that He wants to do it again. Right now, coming down and taking and permeating each and every part of us. Being defined by God's grace in us. Because you know what happens when we are. You know what happens when we open ourselves to Him. All that shouldn't be there is being pushed out. That all that should be there is filling us up. Let me remind you again of who you are. So that you'll be refreshed. You're spiritually alive. And no one can take that away from you if you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You're spiritually alive. That's sure. You're heavenly positioned. And that's a certainty. That's a promise. That you're connected with the Father. Wow! What a privilege. That you are a billboard of His mercy. You're an honored child. And you have God's word on that. That's not my word. That is His great gift. And maybe during the week, it's good to ask the question, what will define me today? As I go and live my life in the house and in the neighborhood that I live in, what will define me? Will it be God's grace? Or will it be good works? Because sometimes, just sometimes, we want to do it ourselves. 
We don't want God to do it. And that is something that we need to be aware of. Because if we begin to do it ourselves, it is a joy killer. Because there's one thing you can be sure if you try to do it yourself, you will fail. But if you let God in Christ do everything that He promises, wow! What an impact, because you and you and I, when God is there with us, are billboards, we're signs, and God is saying, there is how my grace works. There's a lovely story in the Bible about a guy called Mephibosheth. Try and get my mouth around that. Mephibosheth. And he was the son of Jonathan. And Jonathan was King David's best pal. They were great mates. And maybe you know the story. Um, Jonathan's father was Saul. And Saul and Jonathan went out to fight against the Philistines. And they were both killed. And after they were killed, eventually after a few years, David becomes king of Israel. And God the Holy Spirit, I believe, put it in David's mind that he should show a blessing to Saul and to Jonathan's family. Now, Mephibosheth was a cripple. I don't know if you've read the story. But during the battle, when word came that Jonathan had been killed, Zimba, um, his servant, she grabbed um, Mephibosheth and as she was running away to hide because she knew that the, uh, the Philistines would kill this little boy she picked him up and dropped him and he fell on his feet and he became a cripple he was damaged right from that time what does a child do when they can't walk What does a child do when it has no family? What does a child do when that child knows that their father is a failed leader? Where do they go? What do they do? And Simba takes him to a place called Lodibar. And in the Hebrew, Lodibar means the place of no trees. It's a dry desert place you can't go any lower than low depart and that is where Mephibosheth ends up and then all of a sudden the king's men come and they take this boy Mephibosheth and they load him into a wagon and they carry him into the presence of the king And he thought that the worst was about to happen. He thought that his past had caught up with him. He thought judgment now for being the son of a failed king. But lo and behold, where do they take him? Not to prison, but they give him a place at the king's table. It's if there is a card right in that place with his name on it. Listen how the scripture des- describes it in Second Samuel 9. And from that time on, Mephibosheth regularly ate with David as though he were one of his sons. From Lodabar to the palace, 
from absolutely nothing to royalty, from no future to the king's table. Do you recognize the story? It's my story, it's your story, it's what happened because of God's grace that we are seated where? Where are we seated? We're seated at the king's table. We're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. I want to encourage you because it's difficult sometimes to listen to someone and then go away and, you know, the devil comes and very easily can snatch up the words. Go and read 2 Samuel 7 and 9. And along with it, read um, Ephesians chapter 2, 4 to 7. I guarantee you that you read the story, it will bring a tear to your eye. But then you contrast it with, with what you are when you read Ephesians 2. And wow, and take time and drink it in. And realize who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be refreshed. Realize who you are. A hundred years ago in a wee Scottish village, there was a group of fishermen. And they decided to go down to the local inn to have a meal. And as they were there, they were telling about, you know, the catches of fish that they had. And, you know, if you know any fishermen, how they exaggerate. No, I caught one this size. I caught one this size. And one guy stood up and says, and I caught one that size. And as he did so, his arm went out and the servant maid, who was going past that time with a tray full of food, his hand caught the tray and it went and splashed across uh, a wall that had just been whitewashed. It was a mess. The landlord came and looked at it and decided, well, there's nothing else to do but maybe just get it whitewashed again. This is a true story. And just as he was leaving, a voice was heard to say, let me work on it, please. Let me work on it. Now the landlord didn't know who this man was. But he said to him, okay, if you don't get it right, I can whitewash it anyway. And so this man took out his brushes and paints and he began to transform the mess. And this mess, a scene emerged. It was a scene of a a stag with great antlers on it. And after the man had finished the painting, he signed it and left. And the landlord went up and looked at the signature. And it was none other than Edwin Landseer. Edwin Landseer is a famous wildlife painter. In his hands, this mistake became a masterpiece. And to this day, people still go and see it. And if you and I will allow God... By his grace, he will define us as the children of God. He will make it work for us. He and only he. He'll fill you. He'll fill you. He'll make you who he wants you to be. And like the children's dog, 
He'll only do it if you ask him. If you go and ask him. Have God's word open. Read the story. Read Ephesians and say, Lord, that's what I want. I know who I am. Now I want it in reality. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says this, By the grace of God, I am who I am. Go and have a good drink of grace. And be who God wants you to be. Wow. Isn't that great? Great promise that we have. And it's there. And it's there for the taking. I commend God's word to you.